Tom Bernard show with Andy Rampernard and Mike Bellino. Of course, everybody left. Michael Bryant left. Catherine left. Alex left. You know, it's all the, the people just here doing all the work. That's it. We'll be back. Tom Bernard show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Is that this? Yep. And now... Oh, God, listen to you. (laughs) You're unbelievable. Melina gets fired <laughs> this time tomorrow. <laughs> uh, there you go. I'm know. waiting on it. Because like you said, I mean, it's the same thing with me. No one's ever fired. Uh, no, one one person has fired me to my face. But usually it's over the phone. Oh, yeah, it's over the phone. They yeah. have fired you to your face. That's true. You're gone. If you're over, probably like, uh, if you're over... Five, six, and over 180 pounds. They won't fire you (laughs) face-to-face. That's just the way it works. Uh, What are you going to... Oh, Catherine's calling me. Hold on. You guys carry the show for a second. Why is mom calling you? Hold on. Okay, great. All right. Andy, you ever been fired? Yeah, I don't even have the news up. Uh, No, I actually haven't. All right. Uh, Have you ever seen anybody get fired, though? Like a, well, ex-co-worker at the time? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Okay, what was that? Um, I just wanted to see, find out the sandwich shop downstairs has different, you know, salads and things like that. And I just want to know if they had stuff with calorie counts on it, but they don't. Well, it's you know what? Closed now. Tomorrow I'm going to go over, uh, seeing as how it's my last day, I'm going to go over to Witch Witch because it's right across the way. Witch Witch is yeah. good. They do have calorie yeah. counts. Yeah, they do, yep. That's probably where I'll go, as a matter yeah. of fact. You going over there tomorrow? Yeah, for the show. Yeah, good idea. Uh, a new wide-ranging study has revealed the one thing you should never do before you go to bed if you want to decrease your risk of depression. thing is, you probably do it every day. I wonder if it has to do with your phone. Do you think it does? What? This is one thing you should never do before you go to bed. And it's probably talk on your phone, don't you think? It's probably using your yeah, phone Yeah, just in using bed. your phone, yeah. Just using your phone. We've all heard about spending too much time on social media and can make a person feel lonely and depressed. A recent study found that people between the ages of 18 and 22, otherwise known as Generation Z or the I generation, folks who are perpetually glued to their phones, are the loneliest group in America. Uh, And another recent study found that fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, fubbing, the act of ignoring someone while flipping through your phone, leads to decreased marital uh, satisfaction and a greater likelihood of depression. But even if, even if you aren't one of the uh, 26% of Americans, uh, 
American adults anyway, who admit to being online almost constantly, you're probably guilty of scrolling through your phone or using it to uh, watch a show or a movie as a way to unwind before falling asleep. A 2015 study found that 71% of Americans cuddle up with their smartphone when they go to bed, and one in four have even admitted to falling asleep with it in their hands at one point or another. A more recent study found even, uh, they even found that so many people are watching Netflix late at night that it's causing couples to have less sex. They'd rather watch Netflix than have sex, apparently. Given how important sleep is for your body's ability to function, scientists are especially concerned about how this growing trend is disrupting our body clocks. Now a new wide-ranging study published in the Lancet Psychiatry uh, has uh, revealed how this dangerous habit can impact your well-being. University of Glasgow researchers asked 91,105 participants between the ages of 37 and 73 to wear a risk work, wrist work accelerometer. What's that? Wrist work accelerometer. No idea. To enable them to analyze how people's habits affected their circadian rhythms. The results, one in 25 people were found to be th- just as active at night as they were during the day. I think they mean wrist-worn. Yeah, yeah wrist-worn accelerometer would make sense, but yeah. risk-work, that's what it says here. I don't know. Uh, in any case, oftentimes because they were on their cell phones, they're just as active at night as they are during the day. These people had a 6% greater risk for depression and 11% greater risk for bipolar disorder. How could something like that trigger bipolar disorder? I don't really understand that. I don't know. People on social media. I think it's more that crazy people are attracted to social media. I think they have, <laughs> the co- I think they have their causation wrong. Yeah, I think you might be right that people, some people get completely nuts about social media. Mm-hmm. I haven't been on it in well over five years now. I couldn't care less. And seriously, I at first I thought, oh, this is really cool. You can stay in touch with all the listeners to the morning show and the podcast. And but ninety nine percent of it was negative. Yeah, it's just that why you would want to be on that every day. <clears throat> yeah, I was saying hi to people. Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? But ninety nine percent of it was really negative. And oh, isn't this person horrible? It's like God, grow up, will you? Or you don't like the person? Go over to their house and. Get in a fist fight with them or something. I don't know. The mentally ill really do seem to love social media. They do, don't they? Yeah, they go on there and just talk about how horrible everything is, and that's all they ever do all day. Everything and everyone. Yeah, I'm sure that. Yeah, it, it's, it's true. They, they make stuff up as they go along. And people believe what's on social media. Do not believe anything that's on social media because it's all lies. All of these, they made it because they don't have to answer for it, first of all. They lie their ass off because they don't have to answer for it. So what do they care, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it, it's ridiculous. All right, winners, losers from Major League Baseball's first quarter. Yeah, the first quarter is over already. You believe? Well, it's not for the Twins yet because we yeah. still have two makeup games. Yep. I think that uh, we yeah we still have two makeup games, so we'll see how that works out. But they're going to rate teams in the first quarter. How do you think the Twins probably um, at 18 and 20 probably not that well. No, but still I mean all teams in the AL Central as of what a couple of days ago were under 500. Well, they so. were, yeah. But now Cleveland's above 500. Okay. The Twins are a game and a half back now. Uh after yesterday. And and they lost to St. Louis, but we I didn't yeah. think they were going to beat St. Louis four straight games. I didn't think that was going to happen. While there's still a lot of baseball left to be played, the 2018 Major League Baseball season is now one quarter old. That gives us more than enough of a sample size to do some true evaluating of what we've seen so far. By and large, the baseball has been uh, fantastic in the East. The New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox have been Major League Baseball's two best teams. While the National League East race might end up featuring no fewer than four teams, unfortunately things have not looked so good when venturing down to Florida. Southern California, meanwhile, has given us one of baseball's most disappointing teams. You mean the Dodgers? Yep. Yeah, it's got to be. Dodgers are <laughs> yeah. horrendous. Oof, really. But it's also provided one of baseball's most incredible stories. Uh, when we go up the Pacific Coast into Seattle, we'll find uh, someone uh, who ruined what could have been a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, that Robinson Cano yeah. thing. Yep. I, his career is ruined. Yeah. What was he thinking? Uh, and he's pretend, trying to pretend, of course, oh, it was an accident. It wasn't an no. accident. He said it wasn't an accident. Oh, yeah, it was an accident. Seriously. Yeah, sure it was. Uh-huh. We believe that. The 2018 Major League Baseball season has given us many winners and losers. These are the most notable. So, yeah, that does make sense. 
all that stuff makes sense. Uh, they're not going to mention the AL Central much because the AL Central is the worst division yeah. in all of baseball. So, I mean, that's just a fact. And what are you going to do? We'll see, though. Last year, nobody, nobody expected the Twins to make the playoffs no. last year. So, I don't know. What do you think? Well, you think the Twins, you think the Twins, well, I mean, they do have a chance going to the playoffs just because they're in the AL yeah, Central. Yeah, that's the thing. It's going to come down. It's going to be Cleveland, Detroit, or the Twins. I mean, you're only going to yeah. get one through. Yeah, there's no no, <laughs> so, no more than one team getting through from no. the AL Central. That is an absolute fact. So we'll see how it goes. But you're a Yankees fan. Yeah. So will you be going to a lot of Yankees fans uh, starting the 1st of June? Uh, I'd like to, but then, you know, you got to go to the South Bronx. <laughs> so Well, that's true. Maybe yeah. not too many night games. But, yeah, you know, you just take the 4 train or the B or the D, and you're up at the Yankee Stadium. I will never forget in 1982. Two or three, something like that. I don't remember. But I went and saw the Yankees. Don't even remember who they played that night because I, I used to go to Yankee Stadium all the time. Just loved being in Yankee Stadium. But I left the game. It was a night game. I left the game late because I was on hanging out, schmoozing with people or doing whatever. And I walk out there, and there's a TV guy from the other market. I don't know. It wasn't the Twins. But there was a TV guy out there with this, like, $150,000 worth of, worth of equipment. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, all the cabs left. I can't find a cab. I said, what do you mean, what do you mean all the cabs left? He goes, they all left. I, I don't have any way to get this stuff back to the hotel. And I said, are you, are you in Manhattan? He goes, yeah, I'm in Manhattan. He said, yeah, I was thinking of going to like across that bridge. I said, that's Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> I probably wouldn't do that if I were you. Uh, you're already in the South Bronx, yeah. and Harlem's not going to get any better. I can uh. promise you that. So I said, come with me, and well, you know, yeah. uh, God, I'll never forget that guy. Must have, and back then, I mean, you're talking about 36 years ago, this guy's got like 150 G's worth of camera equipment with him. What the hell are you thinking, pal? Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one thing about New York. I, 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 Catherine and I loved living in New York. We thought it was wonderful. You're going to love it, uh, I think. Was this a white guy by chance? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course it was. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I don't – I suppose packing all that stuff up after the game's over and all the rest yeah. of it. Because I will tell you one thing, ladies and gentlemen, at least at the old location. I don't know about the new location, but it's not that far away from the old No, location. no, it's right across the street. Yeah, there, it's right across uh, the street. East 161st and River Avenue. Yeah, River. So, yeah, yeah, right across the street. So uh, the problem was – that the reason this guy ran into trouble is because once the game's over, everybody wants to get the hell out of there. <laughs> they don't want to hang around and linger. No. They just want to get out. You know, and they just, they even if they're dry, they've driven the game. Nobody drives to the game. But no. I shouldn't say no one, but some people do drive to the game. The players drive to the game. Yeah. But they uh, they get they get out of there as soon as they possibly can. Now, the South Bronx is not as bad as it was. For yeah, the yep, that's true. It is better than it was at one time. Yeah. Back when you were there, I mean, yeah. It was terrible. I mean, you would drive down that main boulevard. God, what was the name? What's the name of the main boulevard where all those beautiful homes are all boarded up? The Cross Bronx Expressway? Yeah, not the expressway. No, this is like a beautiful, like, residential boulevard. There's a big boulevard in the middle of the street. Riverdale or? Yeah, one of those. It doesn't matter, but. You see these beautiful, what once were beautiful homes and are all boarded up back then. So maybe they've done some, because they've improved the Bronx quite a bit now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not, I'm sure it's not like that anymore. I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting place to live. The food is phenomenal. You yeah. spend a lot of time in Little Italy? I'd like to, yeah. Go down to Ferrara's. And, Ferrara's. But I mean, while the problem is it's getting smaller and smaller. It so. is getting smaller and smaller because Chinatown's kind of taking yeah. it over. Um, is Grada Azura still open? I believe so. Grata uh, Azura. My yeah. God. Umberto's Clam Shop. And... Oh, the Umberto's, yeah. Well, you're going to love it. We, Like I said, it was a, a ball to be there. You can get anything at any time of the yeah. day that you want. That is a fact. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I, so you're gonna, you and your brother are going to live together? Yep. Yeah. So, so that's uh, good. Yeah. Got a place out in Brooklyn. So biggest thing was it's not too far from the subway. and Right, exactly. Yeah. And Brooklyn's another one. It's like Brooklyn 30 years ago. Completely well, different from today now. Oh, yeah. Now it's great, I guess. Yeah. So did you get a hold of the company we were talking about? Uh, yeah. I uh, got a touch base after the show just because they make you go through so many loops. It's, uh, what do they make you go through? Oh, uh, just uh, getting names down. And... Did you tell them to call me? Yeah. Did they, are they going to do that? 
Well, there's a their uh, application process is uh, oh, interesting. God, unbelievable. Yeah. Why is it so hard? No, I know. Good God. Tell them to settle down. That's all I have to say. Um, but, yeah, Molina wants to stay in a business out in New York, and uh, we do have stations out in New York, and there are tons of podcasts out in New York. So it would be really, really good. You guys ever heard of Top Hatter? Mm, no. I've never even heard of it. They, they sell these things. Oh, apparently you bid on them, accepting bids on everything from cameras and computers and what is this thing? A code reader? A code reader for what? Ooh, a Pink Floyd T-shirt. The bid's $1 so far. I've never heard of Top Hatter before. Somebody just sent me the information and said, you should look at this site. Um, I don't know if these two women are for sale or it's the clothes they're wearing that are for sale. It's not really clear. Yeah. What's for it? it looks like complete electronic junk. You could buy a cap light. It's got five LEDs in the brim. Mm. So that would be some bids. Auctions all start at $1 on Top Hatter, oh. apparently. So what do you think of that? You see these commercials all the time. Somebody bought like a MacBook that cost $2,000 for 50 Yeah. And you're like, what? How is that possible? Yeah. The, the, what they do, it's the first one, I forget what it was called, but they're, there are a bunch of them now. Yeah. Uh, and basically... Oh, it was, yeah, it was bid... What was it called? Bid something. Mm, I don't remember. But basically, you uh, put in a bid, and then that makes it so... It's basically like eBay, except for the fact that after you bid your money, if you don't get the item, you don't get your bid back. What do you mean? (laughs) You don't get your money back? Nope. So only the, well, what the hell kind of bid? <laughs> what? Only the highest bid gets the item, but anyone uh, who bid still has to pay. That's ridiculous. I would never do that. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of. Seriously, who who the hell would do that? <laughs> How's that even legal? How's like the attorney general being? Yeah, see, I'm like watching people. Yes, yeah, someone <laughs> named Ron just bid twenty two dollars on this drone, and so he's winning, but. Very soon, someone's going to bid 24 and that means Ron's $22 just yeah. went in the garbage. Joe from Louisville said that uh, all the stuff on that site is uh, comes from China. All of it. Yeah, well... Everything. All of these sites are very uh, Chinese garbage. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a flow dock. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you could install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Call or visit Flow's newest dealer in Chanhassen. Lakeshore Equipment, 952-474-DOC or lakeshoreequipment.com, of course. Flow docks and lifts, a better way.
We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. Remembering the biggest draft busts in NFL history. Andy, I did find out today, though, that uh, John Lastman, the producer of the KQ Morning Show, knows even less about sports than you do. Yeah? And you don't care about sports at all. No. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how is it possible that Lastman knows nothing about sports? Just You would think being around KQRS, he'd yeah. by osmosis. Yeah. But apparently not. The biggest draft bust in NFL history, do you think the Vikings have made one? And by the way, they say Ryan Leaf doesn't even come close to being one of the biggest draft busts in, in NFL history. Yeah, you would think we got to be in there at some point. You would think. Just, yeah. When it comes to college players entering into the world of professional sports, it's never a foregone conclusion that great college athletes will be great pros. In college, these players are far and away above their peers. They stand up because most of the players surrounding them aren't professional material, but when they enter the pros, they are literally surrounded by the best of the best. When they enter a field with players just as good as they are for probably the first time in their lives, reality can settle in very quickly. And once promising players enter the conversation for the biggest NFL draft bus in history, let's revisit some of the league's biggest flops from drafts of the past. These players were hyped as the best of their class, and many teams hoped these young men would become the building block to start a dynasty. But poor decisions, bad attitudes, and injuries plagued many of these players, and their shining stardom was quickly extinguished. We'll revisit the biggest NFL draft bus as well as the players' uh, teams passed up. Well, yeah, you mean yeah. like Tom Brady? Yeah, you know, pick 199. He might be one of them. Uh, he might be one of them. So, yeah, yeah, he, he was. He was picked number yep. 199, right? Yep. Oh, God, yeah, this one was terrible. Brady Quinn. Oh, yeah. 2007 draft Cleveland Browns. Brady Quinn left Notre Dame after a stellar four-year career with the Fighting Irish, and prospects were high for Quinn coming into the NFL. He kind of, I don't know if he started the decline of the Cleveland Browns, but he certainly was part of it. Well, Tim Couch. Tim that Couch, was, that's that was, right. That's right. That yeah. was your guy. Well, how many of them are going to be Browns or ex-Browns? Cleveland I mean, Browns. Cleveland. Yeah. Well, probably most of them. That's true. Uh, prospects were high for Quinn coming to the NFL with many eyeing the potential for a franchise quarterback. Unfortunately, things didn't go that way. Quinn floundered in Cleveland after being selected 22nd overall. To their credit, the Browns did select future Pro Bowler uh, offensive tackle Joe Thomas. Yeah. Yep. He was phenomenal. Yeah, just retired. With their number three pick. but pa- Yeah, he just retired. Yeah. That's right. He passed such notable names as Joe Staley, Greg Olson, Steve Smith, and Brandon Merriweather, just to name a few, to draft Quinn. Yeah, Brady Quinn is... Uh, not very good. No, oh, and they screwed it up seven years later. We were watching uh, at a where were we? We were at O'Gara's, and yeah. they drafted another yep. quarterback at twenty-two, Johnny Menzel. Yeah, Johnny Menzel. Charles Rogers, number uh, is number two, two thousand three draft, Detroit Lions first round, second pick with the second pick in the two thousand three draft. The Detroit Lions hope to bring in a dynamic playmaker and target for the previous year's first round pick, Joey Harrington. Oh, say. <laughs> Uh, Michigan State's Charles Rogers offered just what the Lions wanted, but luck wouldn't be on Rogers' side. He broke his collarbone five games into his rookie season, ending his season. Three plays into the 2004 season, he broke his other collarbone. Uh. The, the, the clavicle, of course. Then in 2005, Rogers was suspended for four games for his third substance abuse violation. Three yep. of them. Uh, how is go. that even possible? <laughs> The, uh, the Lions released him that year and know the team would touch the toxic player. It's too bad the Lions chose Rodgers as the Houston Texans picked Pro Bowler Andre Johnson with the very next pick. <laughs> Jamarcus Russell. Should we even talk about uh, him, that cow? The 2007 draft was yeah. horrendous, by the way. Yep. As far as these kind of players, the Brady Quinns and the and the uh, Jamarcus Russells of the – didn't he get up to like f- almost 400 pounds? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he, I think he got up to four bills. Yeah, he's probably one of the most infamous names in pro football. Jamarcus Russell was the first overall selection of the 2007 draft after a dominant college career, and hopes that he would become the Raiders' new franchise quarterback were high, but Russell failed epically after holding out during contract negotiations before his rookie season. Russell finally made his first start in the last game of the regular season in 2007. He was a starter in 2008 and 2009 for the team, but inconsistent play and rumors of a poor work ethic dogged his career. Photos of a fat, overweight Russell <laughs> resurfaced that didn't help his cause. 
Russell was released by the Raiders after the 2009 season and never played another down at all. And how much, wasn't it like $100 million? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was back when Al Davis was running things. But I think he got almost all of it. Yeah. Good God. See, I remember this guy. I thought he was going to be a star, too, but it just was Tony Mandrich. Oh, yeah. Remember Tony Mandrich, 1989, first round, second pick overall? <laughs> See, I thought Mandrich, I, yeah, I'm sorry, but I thought he was going to be phenomenal. Pegged as one of the best offensive linemen coming out of college, Tony Mandrich was selected second overall by the Packers in 89. However, apparently an attitude problem, likely stemming from drug-related issues. So you could forget about Tony. I did not know that he had a drug problem. Did you? No. I had no idea. In recent memory, I think the 2012 draft is definitely one of the bad, one of the worst drafts also. Yep. How about Courtney Brown for the Cleveland Browns? First round, first pick overall in the 2000 draft. Uh, Yeah. Well, he was a defensive end out of Penn State. A promising start in the franchise would be cut short, however. After a promising rookie season, Brown suffered an injury in his second year and played five games. The next three years, he would play 26 games with the Browns before being cut. Uh, what the Browns did uh, miss out on. What did the Browns miss out on? LeVar Arrington, Brian Urlacher. Oh, oh yep. you know, yeah, it's just Urlacher. You, yep. you know, no problem. Sean Ellis and John Abraham all uh, came out after he did in the draft. Tim Tebow, complete waste of a draft. 22nd pick in the first round by the Broncos. Why did they pick him in the first round? I mean, he was a good college player, but you could tell the guy was a dope. Yeah. I don't understand that pick at all. I mean, we're going to go something. Kijana Carter, we could forget about him even talking about That was 1995 anyway. Is Christian Ponder on that list? Ooh, we're going to find out. <laughs> Because my pick, number one overall, Vince Young. Oh, yeah. This was a guy, all he could do was run to his right, if I remember. I mean, he couldn't run to his left. He could run to his right, and he couldn't throw the football with a damn. No. It was unbelievable. After probably producing the most memorable college championship in history, Vince Young entered the NFL draft as one of the biggest draft prospects in history. The Titans drafted him third overall, despite concerns over his throwing motion. Yeah, see, there's another guy named Teddy Bridgewater that had a horrible throwing motion. I do not think he'll make it no. mid-season with the, with the Jets. Nope. Better make sure he brings his gloves, too, because that was why he had such a bad pro day and slipped in the draft. Yeah. Because I mean, he needs that. gloves to throw. He Remember, does. that he, was a thing. Yeah, he, he cannot grip the football, which is going to be a huge problem. I'm just zipping through. But it's like all those guys. You mentioned Tim Tebow or, you know, right. Vince uh, Young. Vince I mean, Young. these guys who have great college careers, you know, Tim Tebow won back-to-back titles at Florida. Vince Young had that memorable Rose Bowl against uh, USC. Yep. I mean, all these guys have great careers, so I think a lot of it, too, is that you know, you're going to get somebody who you can market right away. Um, yeah. You know, you think that even, like I said, 2012, you had uh, Andrew Luck. We'll see what happens with him. He didn't play at all last year. And then you had RG3. Yep. You had Trent Richardson. We, God, I think, drafted right. uh, Matt Khalil. Matt Khalil. Oh. That Khalil. Oh, he's with his brother now, so yeah. that's good for him. Andre Ware's name just popped up. He was a complete bust. There, there are names in here I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, first round, sixth pick overall, Vernon Golston. No, nope, I don't even. Not, yeah. I don't even remember him. Uh, you remember that name at all? No, I don't either. I have. I have no recollection. Here he is. We were looking for him. Number thirteen, Johnny Manziel. <laughs> first round, twenty-second pick, as you already pointed out. We don't even need to read his uh, bio because we all know why he failed miserably and continues to fail miserably because he's a pain in the ass. Yep. Brian Bosworth, I do remember that. That goes way back to the 87 draft. Mm, the Boz. The Boz. Uh, didn't he try to become a movie star after that? I think so. Well, yeah, he had a, he actually had a pretty good 30 for 30 on ESPN about him. They did. <laughs> Unfortunately, Bosworth would succumb to the failings of steroid use as well as maybe bad genetics. Bosworth suffered a shoulder injury in 88 ended his career. His career lasted one year, and I believe his movie career lasted one movie. Might have done more than that, but there's only one that I can remember. Somebody with motorcycles or something, What's his name? Brian Bosworth. Brian Bosworth. B-O-S-W-O-R-T-H. Let's see here. Filmography. (laughs) (laughs) The filmography of Brian Bosworth. He was in a bunch of stuff. Was he really? But, yeah, the thing you're thinking of is Revelation Road. Revelation Road. Very good, Andrew. He was hog. Yeah. A lot of these hog. are, like, 
very, very bit parts in movies that no one... Look like, at him in Three Kings. Like, he was a guard in The Longest Yard. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. That's he right. was a friendly pirate in something called Rock Slide. <laughs> he was an action star. He was a friendly pirate. He was in a you heard bunch me. of different stuff that... Yeah, I don't know. I said friendly pirate. But Revelation Road, there were three Revelation Roads. None of them Worth particularly uh, loved. Oh, God. There was How Revelation sad. Road, the beginning of the end, Sea of Glass and Fire, and then finally the Black Rider, Revelation Road. And they were all made within a span of one year. So and what year was that? Uh, between 2013 and 2014. Oh, that recently. Yep. God, I didn't know it was uh, that recent. Uh, here's one that's really sad. Todd Marinovich. Oh. Here was a guy that his father, from the time he was a little baby, worked with him on his throwing motion with his left arm. When he was a little baby, his father worked him over. Despite warnings, the Los Angeles Raiders took a chance on USC prospect Todd Marinovich when they drafted him 24th overall in the 1991 draft, but those warnings came to light. Marinovich plummeted out of the league by May 1993 after several drug-related offenses, which transferred into real life. He's been arrested on narcotics charges many times since his NFL days. Marinovich is particularly notable as the Raiders selected him for the QB position when, nine spots later, the Atlanta Falcons took... Brett Favre. Brett Favre. <laughs> there it is. Uh, but nobody knew Favre was yeah, going to be that good. No. And, I mean, the Falcons traded him a year or two later anyways to Green Bay. You mentioned Tim Couch. He's at number 17. You know, it's actually kind of, oh, God, well, Rick Meyer. Remember him? Horrible. Well, back to Couch, he was the first pick after Cleveland got the franchise back to Cleveland. Like, he was the— Oh, that's he, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Heath Shuler. Remember that game? That, that name, I mean? Heath Shuler, he was around for about 10 minutes. See, here's another guy, Steve Emptman. I don't even no, remember no. Steve Emptman. When looking at the 1992 NFL draft, one might not know where to start when it comes to player potential. The draft has no current Hall of Famers, and the list of Pro Bowlers from that year isn't particularly impressive. Still, the Coats thought they had a uh, defensive stalwart when they picked Steve Emptman first overall. I never even heard of this guy. <laughs> Uh, but while Emptman was impressive in college, the NFL beat him down. The defensive end played just 18 games in three years with Colts, unable to shake the injury bug. Mediocre stints in Miami and Washington would put pit stops, uh, would be pit stops, excuse me, before Emptman left the league after the 1997 season. And this, I think, just, oh, there's Ryan. Ryan Leaf finally showed <laughs> up at number 21. I mean, seriously, he didn't even come close to the top 10. That's just, I mean, it's, Terrible. So Ryan Leaf does not. Those are the wow. twenty-one worst draft picks in the history of the NFL. And it just makes matters worse where you got a Ryan Leaf, and then you know right there next to him was Peyton Manning, who was drafted number one. And no, that's true. Yeah, no. that's that. No, Peyton Manning. Good God, I, I, you know, the Vikings did not show up on that list, by the way. So what do you think of that? I'm surprised. Yeah, I am too, to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm really surprised at the well, like you said, what's his face? Well, Christian Ponder was a first round draft pick. Christian Ponder, there he was you like go. number twelve. First round and I was like, pick. who the hell is this guy? He wasn't even in New York for the damn draft because he had no idea he'd be going in the first round. Well, this is kind of cold. The twenty worst worst draft picks ever, and they have a picture of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Was he even <laughs> drafted? I don't know. I've, I don't uh, remember him being drafted. Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Andy, would you see if he was drafted in the NFL? But I think he had a shoulder problem or something. He broke his shoulder or something. I think he was drafted in the NFL, or at least he was in the NFL, I think. He was cut from the CFL. Oh, he's in okay. the CFL, so okay. he didn't even make the NFL. <laughs> um, he was on the Miami Hurricanes at the University of Miami. Right, yep. right. But I don't know... Yeah, I don't think he ever made it in the NFL. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. This was at this was the natu national championships uh, when he was in college. I yeah. Well, wait. 1991 was he in college then? Mm. He's not that young. Oh yeah. 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 He is. Okay. Yeah, he is absolutely. We will be right back. Very special guest coming up next. Tom Bernard show.
It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan, and now you can find out how to have success losing weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth, just like me, at their free informational dinner on Monday, May 21st, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. Those unwanted pounds will melt away really fast. I lost over 40 pounds at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth after being educated on clean eating, finding out what foods my body prefers, and I now know the foods that our weight gain triggers. As I've said over and over again, the Nutramost weight loss plan is so easy, they guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Call now to register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth Dinner on May 21st. To register, call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. I remember when my older brother came home from Vietnam and how proud I was to be seen with him in uniform. I'm a huge supporter of our military men and women and always have been. I've also got a soft spot for women and children. Lincoln said in his second inaugural speech that we should take care of the wounded and care for the widows and orphans. That's exactly what the Gold Star Ride Foundation does. This summer, the Gold Star Ride Foundation will travel across the country visiting Gold Star families on an ambitious adventure to help those families and remind them they are not forgotten. I made a commitment to help this organization just like Weston Choppers, Northlight Color, and Print Media Minnesota, and you should too. It's pretty easy to do. Just visit www.goldstarride.org and click the Donate button. Many of my listeners already have, and that's great, but let's not forget, we're all in this together. www.goldstarride.org. Today's a good day to do it. Be proud of our veterans and their families. Make a contribution today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Melina, what's that song? Heroes. Oh, David Bowie. Heroes. Oh, David Bowie, Heroes. Yeah, okay. Dale Peterson's on the phone, I do believe. No, he just... Oh, now he's coming back again. Okay, good. We'll okay, Dale. there he is. Dale Peterson, how are you, sir? Uh, yes, I'm fine. Uh, is this Tom I'm speaking to? This is Tom you're speaking to, sir. Yeah, we were in commercial when you called. Oh, uh, that's sorry. No, no, it works out, no, it works out great, actually. It's, it's just... Uh, We've found that uh, using a Skype number works best. The only pro- the only problem with Skype is you can't answer the phone while you're in commercial. So, <laughs> oh, I see. That yeah. is the problem. I I've never been able to to work with Skype in terms of the visuals of it. I just haven't figured it out. Well, luckily I have my son here and a, and a uh, family <laughs> friend that know all about it. Otherwise, I'd be screwed too, Dale. I'd have no idea what I'm doing. So it all works out in the end. Well, um, yeah. The book, The Ghosts of Gombe. Is it Gombe? Is that how you say it? Yes, Gombe. Gombe. Gombe or Gombe. Okay, The Ghosts matter. of Gombe. A true story of love and death in an African wilderness. Dale Peterson, our special guest, on July 12, 1969. Ruth Davis, a young American volunteer at Dr. Jane Goodall's famous chimpanzee research camp in the Gombe Stream National Park of Tanzania in East Africa. Walked out of camp to follow a chimpanzee into the forest. Six days later, her body was found floating in a pool. Ooh, I want to stop reading. I just want to hear you, Dale. I want to hear you tell the story. Man. Well, um, it, um, it's, uh, it's a gruesome. The, the actual discovery of the body and the, the loss of this person is a tragic story, of course. She was uh, in her mid-20s, and she basically disappeared. Uh, Gambi is a very rugged, uh, dense forest in the middle of Africa. Um, it was um, nobody knew where she went, and they spent six days looking for her body before they found it. Um, so that's the core of the story that I tell here, and it's a true story. Uh, and um, you know, I had written previously. Uh, Jane Goodall's biography, and mm-hmm. the story was covered a chapter in the biography, but um, now I have an entire book on that single chapter. How did this all start with Jane Goodall? What what inspired her to do all this in the first place and then bring all the people? How many people did she bring with her in all from start to finish? Well, uh, first of all, it's still going on, mm-hmm. uh, so it's now been going on for you know, well over 50 years, I think approaching 60. Um, and what that means is there have been hundreds of people there 
But uh, when she started out in 1960, there was just herself and her mother and an African cook uh, who helped keep the camp going. And um, her mother just didn't do much, except um, she was officially the uh, chaperone for Jane because uh, at the time the the administrators of the area wouldn't allow a woman alone in the forest. Oh, I, okay. So how old was Jane Goodall then, 1960? Well, she was in her 20s, and um, I'd have to look it up in the, the book I wrote, but I, I'm guessing 28, 29. Uh, still a young woman, um, you know, very striking in her own way, but mm-hmm. uh, full of courage and, um, you know, nerve, and uh, she... Uh, made a major breakthrough in primate studies, uh, really a breakthrough that happened very quickly. Uh, nobody had ever studied chimpanzees to any d- degree before that, well, the chimpanzees. And um, it is. A, now, the, what's the name of the movie made about Jane Goodall's life? Uh, I, well, there have been probably a dozen movies made about Oh, that's life. true, yeah. Uh, but, right. Uh, yeah. And the latest is just called Jane. Okay. Um, you, you may be thinking of gorillas in the mist. That's exactly right. Di- Diane Fossey's life. You know, that's uh, right. Who studied gorillas, and yep. she followed Jane by a few years. So Jane was uh, really, uh, you know, the the real pioneer there. What was the breakthrough that Jane made? Well, there were a lot of them. One was just, you know, to demonstrate that this could be done. Before mm-hmm. Jane did it, uh, people were terrified of chimps. Everyone knew that they were dangerous and violent animals and uh, would tear you to pieces uh, and, uh, you know, emotionally very volatile. Jane knew those things, too, but she also had this belief that if you didn't act threatening to a wild animal, the wild animal was not likely to attack. And she just had this belief and uh, really tremendous physical courage. Uh, and stamina, and she just went out there. And the other thing was, don't bring uh, you know a dozen people into your camp when you're mm-hmm. going out into a forest trying to find wild animals. Uh, so she basically went out alone and uh, let herself be seen and uh, didn't act um, threatening. And as a result, the, the wild chimpanzees basically got used to her, and she, she over time, tamed them. So the story that I write about is takes place about nine years after Jane right. had done all of this pioneering right. work. And then she was bringing in a few handful of assistants to to help her, and she was trying to expand the operation and uh, become, instead of the the only scientist, become the the manager and bring in other scientists. Now, so, so along comes Ruth Davis on July 12, 1969, yeah. And where, right. where, what, what were her roots? Where did she grow up? Well, Ruth uh, had a relatively uh, standard American childhood. She grew up in uh, Virginia and then went to college in uh, Washington, D.C. at uh, George Washington University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she happened to meet and fall in love with another person at George Washington University who was... Uh, Ruth studied ge- geology, and the son of the professor of geology that, or yeah, the son of the professor of mm-hmm. geology that was Ruth's professor, what became her boyfriend, and his name was Gaza Teleki. And Gaza was the one who initially made the contact with Jane. He wanted oh. to be an anthropologist, and uh, so he, uh, you know, uh, began to correspond with famous. Louis Leakey, who lived in Nairobi mm-hmm. and who was Jane's uh, mentor. And Louis connected him with Jane, and Jane invited him to come out and uh, become an assistant, um, a student assistant. He was a graduate student at the time. Geza came out, and then uh, he mentioned that he had this girlfriend who was a terrific typist, and uh, Jane needed a typist, so uh, Ruth came out too. And that happened in the '68. Oh, so Ruth actually came in in '68. She was only there, right. so then just about a year before she uh, then disappeared. 
Well, a little over a year, yeah. But she was, you know, quickly became uh, uh, doing research work rather than typing. So oh, okay. She quickly started going out and following the chimpanzees, and uh, and that's, you know, what led to uh, the uh, the tragic deaths yes. one day. And you asked the questions uh, in the bio here. Was Ruth's death an accident? Did she jump? Was she pushed? Uh, what did happen? To, I mean, I, I don't want to give away the book, obviously, uh, but well, she was just found floating. That's yeah. found floating in a pool at right. the base of a high waterfall. Yeah, that's right. With and, her skull smashed in. So um, I, I think probably what we know the most, um, what is clearest is that she probably uh, was um, d- fell down the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but there are no witnesses that we know of, and so you are left with this question: What happened? Uh, did she jump? Was she pushed? Was it an accident? And um, there were some. Uh, the uh, these questions began to be asked uh, by her boyfriend, Geza Teleki, fifty years after the fact. Oh, really? Uh, he spent basically much of his life trying to forget it that it happened and trying to ignore the whole thing. And then in uh, two thousand and six, he began trying to remember what happened, and and you know he'd put away all her letters, he'd put away all the notes. And he began pulling them out again, and it happened that Geza Teleki was a good friend of mine. Oh, and so okay. Geza, and he was a friend of mine because, you know, the three of us, Jane Goodall, I, and Geza were friends who had uh, together worked on a book project years earlier. So Geza called me up one day in 2008 and said, Dale, I need to talk. And Geza was beside himself. He realized that there were... There was gossip about Ruth that some people said she had uh, committed suicide. Some people said she had been pushed. Uh, And, you know, the standard version was it was an accident. But he was uh, starting to investigate this himself, and he was starting to wonder about other possibilities. So he was uh, very, very upset. And he was also at the same time dying. Uh, And that's another story, dying of poison um, and um, environmental poison and mm. where his house was located. And so he was falling to pieces and I became, you know, as his old friend, I became his therapist and sat and listened to him for hours and days really and tape recorded all of the, all of what he said because we both realized that this might be a book. So the book does come from those conversations and from Gaze's investigations and from my further investigations and interviews and studying letters and trying to... Essentially, the book recreates uh, two years at uh, Gombe Stream National Park um, at Jane Goodall's research site, um, in which I, you know, put all of it together and try to remodel uh, what happened. Now, Dale, what... What year was it that Geza reached out to you and said, I need to talk? It was 2008. 2008. So did, did social media have anything to do with this, uh, the, the, the talk about that she killed herself? Was that a part of this whole thing, or was that a little too early for all that? Well, well I think that, you know, certainly social media was um, operating by 2008. Mm-hmm. But, right. Um, but I think, you know, the gossip had begun much, much earlier. Oh, okay. Geza wasn't even aware of it. Okay. Uh, so it was really somebody wrote him a note uh, mentioning some of the gossip and asking him what happened, and he had just simply not wanted to think about Ruth for you know for many many years, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he had to. Uh, so that's that's the origin of the book. How long did he stay? Uh, was he still alive after you began the book? He was, uh, and uh, but I he died before I finished the book, mm-hmm. uh, and but I at least uh, I'm sure he took some comfort in knowing that I would pick up the pick up the story and try to tell it and find out, you know, explore all of the 
the mysteries. Are you are you happy with what you found out? Uh, as I, as I said, I want to I don't want to give away the book at all in any way. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. are you very happy? Neither with do it? I. So I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> no, neither um, do I. You, you know, Agatha Christie won't tell the, the end of her book. <laughs> no, no. But um, but I I can say that um, yes, I'm pretty confident that I've okay. come to the come to the. The, the truth as much as we can know the truth after 50 years. It just fascinates me that some people go from, you know, Washington, D.C., Georgetown, a beautiful area, and all the rest of it, and then they devote their lives in, in, to the African wilderness, the study of chimps or apes or whatever they're studying. Um, right. That, that, doesn't it take a lot of courage? That, that huge change of lifestyles, it's got to be amazing. It does. Think. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does take a lot of courage, and I think that it's easier to do when you're in your early twenties. Oh yeah, you know when, yeah. when you're you know you're willing to jump off a cliff, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know um, move into a, a totally different environment and take a chance. And yes, it's it's quite a transition, and um, it's an impressive one that people can do it. They were. Uh, in very working in very difficult and somewhat dangerous conditions out there, and very you know very simple. They were didn't have any news of the outside world. I mean, this was 1969. That uh, they weren't getting, they couldn't get radio. So right. They, occasionally, we get a signal from BBC News, but it would never be it'd be impossible to listen to. It'd be so weak. Yes. Uh, you know that get Newsweek magazine two weeks after it was published, that sort of thing. That makes sense. Dale Peterson, the book is called The Ghosts of Gambia, A True Story of Love and Death in the African Wilderness. And Mr. Peterson, the book is available everywhere? Yes, it is. Magnificent. Well, thank you for your time. Very, very interesting subject. Great interview, sir. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. That is going to do it for today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.